we want to turn to our Bibles to the book of James. James chapter 4. If you're trying to look for that in your Bible, it's going to be back near Revelation. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. Now, if you're not able to find it quickly or you don't need to, you can look for it later. Uh, we'll have it up on the screen and you'll be able to follow along, but that's where we'll be reading shortly. I wanted to kind of uh, give you an intro story, but it's always do I give them a story first or read, read the scripture first? And so we're going to, I'm just going to tell you, we're going to talk. Part of our illustration today is going to be about uh, sugar diabetes. For some people, that's a really real thing. You're like, what in the world is the pastor going to talk about with sugar diabetes? And I'm not really going to go deep into it, but I want you to think about there are things that someone that's has sugar diabetes is supposed to say it's okay to eat. There's other things they shouldn't eat. And it can be kind of a challenge. I mean, if you have a birthday or something and you have to deal with, you want a birthday cake. So in that case, you can have your cake, but you can't eat it too. Uh, we'll come back to that in a minute. You're familiar with that saying. So James chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your, own, on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, jealously, but he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you, double, your, you sinners, and purify you heart, your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Yes, you got a couple bonus verses there as we read verses 9 and 10 as well. And there you read a couple, we saw a couple terms that you might be familiar with or you might not be familiar with. Double-minded. Maybe you've had that, uh, heard you can't have it both ways. Or you can't have your cake and you eat it too. Uh, Double-minded is this, I want this, but I want that. And they're kind of in opposites. We'll talk about that more in a couple minutes. I told you I was going to talk about sugar diabetes. I am not an de- expert on sugar diabetes. I'm not giving any medical recommendations here. I'm just telling you generally from what I've heard and what I've understand. Generally, I believe it's when the body doesn't produce enough insulin to deal with sugar. And so, and sugar, it's not just the sugar on your 
you put on your cereal if you do that, or on your rice or whatever you put sugar on. It's different kinds of things. They come out of carbohydrates and all that. And for people that have sugar issues or sugar diabetes or uh, have to deal with insulin and all that, they know a lot about this topic. So I'm not presenting that uh, I do. But would you say it would be the best plan of action for someone having sugar diabetes that really has trouble to take the cake and slice a really big piece, take it back to their table, and then bring it up to their nose and just smell it. And just set it in front of them, and maybe take their fork and just cut a little bit off of it all. Kind of would think they're kind of asking for trouble at that point, wouldn't you think? Now, I know sometimes with sugar, they can take a little bit. They have sugar diabetes. They, they know their scales. They're like, listen, I've had this and I've had that. So I think I'm good for a bite. So if they're good for a bite, what would you suggest? Would you suggest that they cut a small piece then and take the small piece back to their table? And then the small piece is what they have, so the small piece is, not, is all that they take. I mean, can you imagine how tempting it would be you get the big piece. Why do we? Why the big piece? Well, just sometimes it's like we know that the bigger piece we get, the more likely we are to take and eat, right? But, you know, sometimes we get so close. We get rock butt lines so, so close. I mean, I used to have people, I would pastor at a church that had a, they had one of these that were taller, and what I'm doing right now would freak them out. They didn't have a guardrail. It was a little bit taller stand, and I put my toes over the edge just knowing. But how something will get right up to the edge. You like to see how close to the edge they can get. It's, it's kind of like they want to have it, you know, they want to get as close as they can. So, Just think about that. If someone was dealing with alcoholism, you wouldn't suggest that they sit there and go into a bar and ask the bartender to pour them a shot of whiskey or something, and they're just going to hold it and smell it, but they're not going to taste it. Probably shouldn't have went in there in the first place, should they? Just get so close. Just so close. You know, shouldn't we pull closer to the things that are better for us and push away from the things that are not as good for us? But we seem to do it somewhat the other way. I've listened to different illustrations over the years and, you know, that have to do with children or raising children. This one's kind of interesting. It's kind of like a story's told of there, 
the story's in a gym, and I don't know all the particulars. I don't know if it was like a, they were having a practice or something, and they told this toddler, this two- or three-year-old, probably three-year-old, I'm guessing, but, and if you've, if you've had children, you might relate to this very quickly. But this three-year-old child, and they said, now listen, they're in the, they're in the stands, and it's like you can go anywhere. So you're in this gymnasium, and you, they, you tell them you can go anywhere except for, except for don't go across that line. Well, the line that they're pointing out is the, is the foul line, the out-of-bounds line at the gym, you know, that goes around the gym. They might have been playing volleyball or something. I don't know what, but you don't want the child to get hurt. And so all the freedom is all over here. All the freedom to do what you want. It's all, you can do all these things. You can go all these places. And where would the toddler go if you've ever raised a toddler? This toddler did the same thing. She ran right down to the line and stood right at the edge of the line. And then looked back and put the toe over the line to see what would happen. How many times do we go right up to the line of the thing that we know God doesn't want us to do and see how close we can go and then just kind of slip our toe over the line. It'd only be a couple seconds. I only do it for a couple minutes. It's only a little bite, but we, we seem to try to get how close we can get to the line without He says, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. It's like, if I go to the place that God lets me go, God draws nigh to me. It just makes it that much better and that much sweeter. But for some reason, we're trying to go to... You've seen the illustration. You have the, a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other shoulder. Now, I don't know how much the... the where that is theologically, except for, don't we kind of have this war in our members that we want to go to that thing, that earthly pleasure, that thing that's a pleasure for a season, and so we've got this battle going on. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? What does it say there? Pleasures that war in your members. There's this war going on. It talks about double-minded. Jesus talks about you cannot serve God and mammon. Things that are of this world are enmity. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. It means it's opposed. Double-minded means I'm trying to satisfy these two different kinds of things. And we kind of wonder why that's a struggle sometimes. We're like in, God takes us through challenges and sometimes he takes us through difficulties and he trains us and he helps us, but sometimes, sometimes we say, Lord, why am I going through this? Are there not sometimes, if you look back in the steps of your life, God said, take a left, and you're like, yeah, but a uh, right looks more fun. So you take a right, and at the end of the path, 
And you're going down the path, and it's like, Lord, why? Well, I told you not to turn this way back three steps, but you did anyhow. And you're asking me why? We try to run in both camps. I had a cousin one time share an illustration. I forget uh, what it was about, but I'm going to change it up a little bit. But think about, have you ever been in a canoe or a small boat? Now, you know, when you stand, standing up in a canoe is kind of a bad thing, but I'm just going to try to, you can kind of think about what I'm talking about here. If, I, if I'm in a canoe and I'm standing in a canoe, that's one thing. Let's say I've got two canoes. Let's say I've got two canoes. And I'm going to put one foot in one canoe and one foot in the other canoe. Now, let's just pretend that I don't, they don't go out this way from me. But if the one canoe sinks, I'm going to have to really keep my wits about me to make sure I don't go in the water. Because if the one canoe sinks, I'm going to have to scramble and things and try to almost fall in and hope that I land in the other canoe. So are you trying to live in the world and satisfy the things that everybody else tells you you should satisfy or the things that these pleasures and God? See, God's not going to sink, but when this one goes down, you're going to You've got to be really paying attention to try to catch yourself so you can get in the other boat while this one's going down. And didn't that seem like you're living kind of on the edge? As we look, as we look, this is this double-mindedness. We love the Lord your God with all. Makes me think of the scripture that talks about if your eye be single. Is your focus on God and we're drawing nigh to God and this... Talks about temptation, you know. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Push away from the table with the cake on it and go towards something a little more healthy. Go towards God. But if I stay at the table with the cake that I know I'm not supposed to have, with my fork in my hand, and I take a piece of the cake and I smell it, and I got it close to my mouth. Am I surprised that I'm more likely to take a bite of the cake that I'm not supposed to have if I've got it that? And you would say for someone that's an alcoholic, why did you go in the bar in the first place? And certainly, why did you... Ask for the shot, and why did you have them pour it? I mean, why did you do all those things, the things you shouldn't be doing? And you're like, yeah, they're addicted to it. And you might be thinking in your mind, yes, they need to have a stronger will and not on that path. But we've got to be a little bit careful because how many people that you know can't go to work or do anything with a cup of coffee in the morning? They have that same, they have an addiction, it's just to something different. 
that coffee control in the morning. They, well, I'm again. Ah, it's just the way I am until I have my coffee in the morning. It's okay to have coffee. But I don't know. Some people spend a lot of money on coffee. I'm just trying to make you aware of, be careful before you start uh, looking for the speck in other people's eye. You got this beam in your own. Maybe have a little compassion for those that are suffering with an addiction to alcohol, an addiction to other things, and you're really, your addiction's coffee. It controls you. Your temperament, your life is different without it. It's a chemical dependency or whatever kind of dependency. But we have to think about, that was kind of a freebie on the side. That we just have to think about before we start pointing fingers how close we are to some of those kinds of things. Are we double-minded? Is our focus really on what God wants us to do? It seems today, and it maybe have been around for a while, that we try to see how close we can get. How close we can get to sinful things without crossing the line. Just how close. And then we're surprised when the people that are following us, the people that are mimicking us, they come closer to that line that we can stop at and they get close to that line and they go on over. See, we don't drink in our denomination. And to me, it's kind of like a shared conviction because how many people deal with alcohol issues. Maybe you can stop. The Bible clearly tells us not to be drunk. And if we could get in all kinds of debates of whether who drank what, when, where, but if I know that people could come in the church or in the congregation that struggle with alcoholism or have had family issues with alcoholism, those kinds of things, why would I make myself a stumbling block to them to make them trip up so that I can run close to the edge. See, I'm more concerned about me doing what I want than about them. And if I'm not concerned about them, then I'm not really following what God told me to, to follow. And he's supposed to be first, and in second, he told me to love my neighbor as myself. Double-minded. The double mind. I'm focused on I. I want to see how much I can get away with how much it can do, and just think about the church. Now, all the church, and historically, there has been times when it's been too legalistic. But now the churches do whatever. They'll say, well, I'm born that way. That makes me, it's natural. Well, I'm born that way to steal, and little kids, when they're little kids, what do they do when you're in a nursery with them? Or a small, you have several kids, and one's building something out of blocks, the other one will come over and say, mine. That's natural. Nobody taught them to do that. They do that naturally. So let's just let people do that. Well, that's what our society is doing. I want it, I'm going to take it. I should be allowed to. The situation I was born in means that I can steal from people, and it's okay. That's the relativism. 
of the right and wrong. But we're trying to see how close we can do. Churches are trying to see how close can we get to divorce? How close can we get to this? How close can we get to that? And our love for the world and our love for numbers make us seeker-friendly churches. You're like, well, you're against seeker-friendly churches? No, we're talking about seeker-friendly churches in that they're never told that they have to repent or stop doing wrong. We never tell them about God has expectations. That when we live a saved life, it should change our life and we should repent and go towards God instead towards the world. There should be some difference. Yes, young Christians have trouble with language or they have trouble this or that, but we as the mature Christians don't need to be double-minded doing whatever. We need to be focused on God and there should be a change. There should be a purify our hearts. When we surrender our lives to God, we consecrate our lives, we dedicate our God's life. Uh, uh, our hearts to God, He then sanctifies us. He sets it apart. We ask Him. He cleanses us. This is the second definite work of grace that we preach about. It's entire sanctification. And then He can work on us. But not be double-minded. And it's not just in the other denominations. You see it in the holiness denomination. You'll see it in our denomination. We want to make everybody happy. Make everything okay. We don't want to have any discipline. We don't want any... I want to have my cake and I want to eat it too. I want to satisfy my desires and satisfy God. He says, an adulterers and adulteresses, meaning in the Old Testament, we learn of this relationship and Jesus talks about it too. God looks to us as his bride. And so when we go about and do these other activities, it's like cheating on God. As an adulterer or adulteress would be on, in a married relationship. We're cheating on God and He's a jealous God. He wants us to be devoted to Him. We, he wants us to draw close to Him. Can you see that illustration? Why, if you're going to out to eat with your wife, would you be flirting with the waitress? But that's what we're doing. We're following God and we're flirting with the waitress and God's like, hey! Stop that. Love of the world is enmity with God. That's that we shouldn't have we shouldn't have the devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other. We need to ask God to flick the devil off one of those shoulders, right? He says to cleanse us. Now, having some of these thoughts and these visualizations, let's look at the scripture and think about it in the context that we talked about. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have that lust. Don't think just sexual. It's You want it. You desire it heavily. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet. Covet means I want somebody else's stuff. And cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You just can't keep going. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. He yearns for us. It's a passionate desire for a relationship. Yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Unmerited favor is grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and warn and weep. Be aware of how bad you are playing this game. It's a dangerous game. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Humble yourselves and He will lift you up. Give God the glory and He will lift you up. I do get a little bit concerned. I I see people saying, listen, I've led this many people to the Lord. I've led... This many people of the Lord. And they keep a little record of who they've led to, uh, led to the Lord. And then they share it. Uh, I think we have to be careful because that doesn't sound like humble to me. God's keeping record. Why do I need to take my own? We have to be careful on those things. Sometimes our praises and even our testimonies on Facebook's we have to be careful those are not uh, end around, hey, look at me at what I've done. They need to be clear, glory to God. Clear and glory to God. Double-minded. Are you double-minded? Are you serving, trying to serve God and please the world? Are you serving, trying to serve God and yourself? Or are you sold out to God? At some point, we have to realize that following Scripture means that it won't make everybody happy in the world. They might not like it. But I'd rather be friends with God than friends with somebody else. Sometimes that means in the church that we might have to call some people out for doing some things they shouldn't be doing. Sometimes it means that I have to deliver sermons I know that you're not going to like, but I need to be able to walk out pleasing God, even if everybody else is mad at me. The song says, Though none go with me, still I will follow. So are you double-minded or are you sold out to God? That's the question today draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you let us be standing together Father God as we reflect on this passage of scripture there are several areas that we maybe as an individual struggle with, maybe we 
in that natural lust of our desires, those things that we want, we like, well, if I buy it real fast and don't pray about it, maybe God will be okay with it. If I sneak it, maybe God will be okay with it. Lord, help us not to try to see how close to the edge we can get. Help us, Lord, not to try to make everybody happy. Help us to please you first. Yes, you say love your neighbor as yourself, and it's like, people are like, well, if you don't, why don't you love them? Aren't you? But the love doesn't mean to just okay everything they're doing. And clearly, if we love you first, then we must love you and your character and what you expect first and apply it to ourselves and to how we interact with others. We can't get that out of order. Help us not to be double-minded. Help us not to try to see just how close we can get. Help us to be willing to be in the forefront of the battle with you single-minded, surrender to you, saying, God, here am I, take me. I give my life completely to you. Come and cleanse me of the sinful nature. Come and help me to be single-minded on you. Help us not to dabble. It's easy. It's almost natural. It is natural. But help us to draw nigh to you, to resist the devil, to not see how close we can get to sin, but see how far we can get from it. Yes, we have to live in the world, but not be of the world. Help us that no none will follow, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Whether, Father, it's in our churches or in our families or in our society, may we be single-minded with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.